You can be seated. It is great to be here today. I always love uh, joining you guys on a on a weekend. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. When I've bought a, a car or a boat or a house or anything else, what do you think one of the first things I do is? Pray. That's that's a good one. Yeah. That's, hopefully that's done before. I get insurance. Got to insure something that's of, of great value. And then, then I might get a warranty or some sort of a maintenance plan that, that goes with that. And then I'll look for maybe uh, improving it or uh, something that I want to do to build onto it or to fix it up, depending on, on what it is that, that I'm purchasing. Uh, I just recently, in fact, just this last weekend, put a bed liner and some step rails on my truck so that you can step in a little bit easier. My wife is very happy about that because she's kind of short. Uh, so it's just some of the things we do, and we've all got stuff, and, and we get our stuff, and we insure it, and we pack it, and we care for it, and we wash it, and we move it, and then we die, and somebody else gets our stuff, and sometimes it's family, and so they'll, somebody else will go through our stuff, and maybe at a garage sale, or an estate sale, or whatever it is, and then they take it home, and they pack it, and they insure it, and they care for it, and they wash it, and whatever it is, and then they die. And in a real sense, it's like our stuff just keeps going on, and even when we don't. It might hang on our wall. It might be an antique. It might be some furniture. It might be some jewelry. We may not even know who else's, who, whose stuff we have was, but then We've owned it for a while, or the next person's owned it for a while, and then they're gone, and the stuff just keeps going and going. But when it comes to giving away our stuff in this lifetime, especially when there's no benefit to us, like a tax write-off or blessing a family member or something like that, then it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. It becomes more of a struggle. And that especially goes true for cash, for money. When we just give that away, we, we usually, we usually, none of you I'm sure, but in other churches across the country, they want to keep it, they want to keep it for themselves. Here's an ironclad principle though, I put it on the screen, when we breathe our last breath, our stuff will all be gone, at least as far as we're concerned, because we can't take it with us. According to Ron Blue, there's only five things you can do with your money. You can spend it, you can pay off debt. You can pay taxes, you can save or invest it, or you can give it away. But there's this tension between giving it away today and knowing that we're going to give it all away when we're gone. There's a tension that exists there. Now, how many of you spend somebody else's money at work? Not at home, but at work. Anybody? Scott does it all the time. He spends your money like you wouldn't even believe. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's another story, another sermon for another time next time I'm back. But maybe, maybe you're in purchasing, or, or maybe you replenish um, the uh, janitorial supplies or office supplies. Anybody do that? You've bought some stuff for your workplace? Sure, sure. We've all, we've all done that. The Bill and Linda Gates Foundation was founded to give away money to help people live healthy and productive lives. It's a trust right now that has just shy of $40 billion in it. $40 billion. They have over 1,400 employees that help 100 different countries all just to give away somebody else's money. That's, that's a pretty good gig. I, I think I would enjoy something like that. But when it comes to giving away our money, 
our personal money, it's a little more of a challenge. And we can all throw in a, throw in a few bucks in an offering plate when it comes by. We can, we can all help maybe a, a homeless person that, that with a sandwich or, or some money or whatever, whatever it might be. But when it comes to giving away substantial parts of our money or our resources, most, most of us, we struggle. We may go ahead and do it, but it's, but it's a struggle. What is it that wires us up that way? What is it that causes that tension? Today I want, I want to start off with a, a quote from a fictional book from uh, C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. Has anybody heard that one? Uh, a few of you. It's, it's a little wordy, but it's, a, it's a, a group of letters from a senior demon called Uncle Screwtape. Uh, and by demon, I mean bad guys. And he's talking and training a junior demon. And, and so Uncle Screwtape is writing this letter to this jun- junior demon who's been in charge of caring for this human being's life. And this human has just now become a Christian. And so this quote that I'm going to read you is part of those letters to help us see um, why we often feel the way we do about our stuff, knowing that we're going to give it all away when we're gone and yet still want to hold on to it in this life. Here's what it says. This is just a couple excerpts from it. The sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged among humans. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. And all the time, the joke is that the word mine in its fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. In the long run, our Father will say mine of each and everything that exists, and especially of each man. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies really belong, but certainly not to them, whatever happens. At present, the enemy, that's God in this letter, because there's demons talking to each other, right? At present, the enemy says mine of everything on the pedantic, legalistic ground that he made it. Our father, which is the devil, hopes in the end to say mine of all things on the more realistic dynamic ground of conquest. He's trying to win. C.S. Lewis says that part of the reason that we get so caught up in ownership and thinking that things are ours, we're deceived to realistically saying mine about anything. That's mine. My kids love to say that. That's my boombox. He can't use it, you know, and they, 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 it's mine, it's mine. Somehow we bought into this myth of ownership. This morning we're going to look at an Old Testament story about a king and his followers who somehow broke through this myth of ownership and to see their stuff as God sees it. And it's so unique, this story, that we're still talking about it thousands of years later. They learned, and I put this on the screen, how to see through the myth of ownership. It's not that we don't struggle with it, it's true, but they somehow learned to see through that myth because it really is a myth. David is the king at the end of his life, and he's sitting in this palace just full of this unbelievable marble and stone and fine wood and paneling, and he realizes that all these years he's been sitting in this amazing life of of luxury as the king, and, and well, I guess he should, but that God lives, at least in their mind, out in a box called the, the Ark of the Covenant that's housed in a tent called the Tabernacle, and David is thinking, this is not cool that God is out there in some box, and I'm living in this unbelievable luxury, 
And, and these pagan gods have all these elaborate temples that are, that are truly amazing. So David decides that he's going to build the most incredible temple because he's got the most incredible God. But God then responds to David and says, David, you can't build my temple. You've had too much bloodshed in your life, too much war that's gone on. But your son Solomon, he can build it. So I'm sure David was pretty bummed, but he goes, all right, I'll do a capital campaign. I'll raise a whole bunch of money and all kinds of resources to build a building that he'll never see in his lifetime. That, that was, I'd, I'd forgotten about that when I was giving this, preparing for this. He did all that work and put all that investment in something that he would never see. First Chronicles 29, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, I would turn there. We're going to spend quite a bit of time there. If you have your phone apps, uh, some sort of Bible app on your phone, you can pull that out. First Chronicles 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, I wonder if there was a little dig in that, the one that God chose, he's young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord, the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. David basically said, look, I'm, I am looking for ways that I can give as much as I possibly can to this. And as a wise old man, he's got this insight in, into the idea that stuff lasts, but people don't, because he's at the end of his life. And David says, I'm going to do all that I can to give all that I can. I'm going to maximize my ability to give to this great project. Look at verse 3. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings. He says, not only am I going to give everything I can as the king of Israel, I'm dipping into my own personal resources. Andy Stanley, a pastor in Georgia, uh, in the Atlanta area, Alpharetta said him and some buddies got together and they through the computer they calculated what they believe today's value is of what he gave back then and, and it ended up being about seventeen billion dollars in today's dollars. That's some serious cash. That's a lot of stuff. That's maximizing your giving, no matter who you are, even Bill Gates. That's serious coin. Look at verse five. For the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing? So after he gave this giant, this giant sacrifice, he asked this. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then, now just picture this. Then the leaders of families and officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave how? How? Willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now listen, let me just, let me just put a pause in, in this message for just a second. 
I realize that for some of you, especially if you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian, I realize that what I'm going to teach you is going to be foreign. Scott and I were talking before the, the deal about when he was a teenager and he talked to some guy about uh, investments and different things and the guy talked to him about tithing and he's like, well, you, that is crazy. Like it doesn't make any sense whatsoever and I get that. But what I want you to see in all of this is just a principle. It's an idea. It's a, a biblical standard that you don't have to buy into. It's still no less true. So I, I believe God has brought you here today to hear this. I really do. And I think he's kept some people from coming today. You may have a low attendance, God. I'm not sure. But, but that may not need to hear this or, or shouldn't hear this yet. But you're here. And it's not by chance that I'm teaching on this. God's put this thing together, so let's try to grab a hold of this. They gave wholeheartedly to the Lord. David rejoiced. The people are super stoked. They saw their stuff in a different light, all their resources, their money, their cash. Their, their, they, they, they gave like crazy. They were excited to do it. They were wholehearted, and, and they weren't asking questions like, how little can I give to God and still keep him happy? They were asking, what can I do with what I have to maximize my ability to give? And they were excited, and it was just infectious of what was going on. It started with the leaders, by the way. That's a great principle. The question that pastors often hear is this, and I put it on the the screen because it's true. You may have asked it as well. It's not a dig. It's just true. Tithing. That's an Old Testament thing, right? We don't really need to tithe 10%, do we? Well, tithing isn't just an Old Testament thing. Tithing was before the Old Testament, during the Old Testament, and after the Old Testament. Tithing was a a lawful practice for God's people, but it was also practiced by the patriarchs 400 years before the law ever came into place. So it's not an Old Testament thing. It was there as well. Abraham, which goes way back, Abraham tithed to the Lord through the priest Melchizedek, because it was a lifestyle principle, not a ritual. It wasn't a law because that wasn't around at that time. Deuteronomy 12, tithing was to be a practice of prioritizing God in life and understanding He is the source of all of our income. In the New Testament, now this is interesting. You can apply this to just about anything. In the New Testament, we find that God, through the Bible, takes everything in the Old Testament, including the law, and he expands it greatly, almost impossible, in the New Testament. You've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. And everybody go, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. We probably shouldn't do that. In the New Testament, it says, if you even think of a woman lustfully in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And every guy in a place is going, crud. That's not me except you, I'm sure. But the rest of us guys, we've done it. That's way harder than not just doing it. I can't, even, I can't even think about it. New Testament, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Really? You can't live anywhere in America for sure and not have a hint of sexual immorality. You certainly can't watch TV. You can't listen to the radio. Can't go outside. Can't go to church because of the way some people dress. And even if they all dressed all the way up, we would still think of a hint of sexual immorality. The New Testament's way harder than the Old Testament law. Let's not get all wrapped up in the, that's a law thing. Well, yeah, I guess it kind of was, but it was before that. And it's certainly afterwards, and it's always expanded to be bigger and greater and tougher for you and I. That's why we need Jesus, because we can't measure up. 
We can't measure up to the law, and we certainly can't measure up to the standards of the New Testament that includes all this freedom and grace and love and mercy. The real question that people seem to be asking is, how little can I give and keep God off my back? How little can I give and keep him happy? How little can I give and still get by? Or can I get away without giving at all? Well, sure you can. Try that with your spouse. To not ever give love, conversation, affection, teamwork, support. Can you still be married and not give all that stuff? Yeah, but wow, what a horrible relationship. Others might ask, do I have to tithe off my gross or my net? Valid questions, but they don't reflect the attitude of the Israelites during this time that says, I'm looking for ways that I can max out my giving. For God, not not just for a church. This isn't about a church. This isn't about even really tithing. It's about this myth of ownership. So other people will think, I, I know I need to give, so just how, how much? How, I really don't want to, but I know I have to, so what can I do and it be okay? That's just not this maxing out mentality. The Israelites in First Chronicles were already big-time tithers. Some believed that they were already giving about 20%, and now this project comes along, and they're giving over and above that 20%, and they are excited, and they're joyful, and they have anticipation and positive emotion about it. Like, this is going to be awesome for our God. Today, maybe it's because of the, the, the church's approach, maybe it's because of people in the past, but it's often guilt. And, and so we hear a message like this or other messages and we just feel this guilt. Don't feel that today. I'm talking to you about a principle, not about how much you give or don't give. And certainly you don't want to have some pride if you're a big giver, proportionately, because it's really all about what we make. Because who gave us the ability to make that? The key is the Israelites knew the difference between ownership and stewardship, and they saw the opportunity. Do you remember the movie Nemo? Show hands or shake a head. Not very wholehearted. We, we need to come on now. Mine, 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 mine. You remember that? Those hundreds of birds that kept going, mine, 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 mine. You remember that? On anything, whether it's Nemo and Dory that were bouncing around on the dock. Mine, and finally somebody said, oh, the little pelican or whatever rescued him. But there were those birds that just, this mine, mine, mine. And finally somebody said, oh, just shut up. You know, it's, it's not yours. Well, that's this mentality of a mine, mine, mine versus what's really all God's and I'm just a manager. I'm not going to claim that as mine. I have it and I'm managing it, but it's not mine. By the way, I think they found Nemo here in California. Um, (laughs) Not sure whether that was Makunis or Taros. Look at what happens in... And if there's any kids here, it's just a fake picture. Nemo's still going, all right? He's okay. I can just hear, have some parents mad. What are you doing showing something like that? My kid loves Nemo. It's just a fake picture. It's called Photoshop. First Chronicles 29.10. This is David's prayer. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, just picture this. I imagine it's just got all this emotion and energy. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. And here it is. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Repeat that with me. 
Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Say it wholeheartedly. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. The Israelites destroyed this myth of ownership and going, it's all God's anyway. They understood this principle that they are simply managing what is already God's. And some have a lot to manage, some have a little to manage, some are managing well, and some are not managing very well at all. Verse 11, yours, Lord, is the kingdom You are exalted as head over all. See, since a teenager, David had risked his life to build this kingdom. He used his own sword to defeat the Philistines. He was a brilliant military leader. He charged the hill. He sinned really bad, and he lost his his child, his son, and all he had, and he repented. And David had basically invested everything in this kingdom. But after his entire life of accomplishments and some sufferings, David looked at all this stuff and he goes, this is your kingdom. This is your stuff. That $17 billion plus all the other stuff that he didn't give, that's all God's. And, it, and this kingdom that was building and all this stuff that he managed, it wasn't the result of just David's abilities. It was God's. And guys, we can struggle with this. Men struggle with this. And women too, but especially us guys because I can pick on us because I'm one of us. We, we oftentimes like to think we've accomplished things. I, st- I still struggle with this today. And we go, look at that opportunity I had. I had that opportunity and I took it and it succeeded. I'm a success. I'm a winner. I, I did something. I accomplished something. Not everybody would have taken that opportunity, but I did and I risked it and it paid off. Look at this investment I made. It paid off in, in dividends, like unbelievable. And, and then we want to say, this is my kingdom. And those of us who are Christians say, and God helped me build it. God helped me with this investment, my investment. I worked long hours. I was smart. I was effective. I was efficient. Isn't this at least part of my kingdom? Part of my stuff, my investment, my assets, my portfolio? David realized with his, and his is way bigger than yours, trust me. And if not, I'd love to talk with you after this service and <laughs> hear what you've done. David says, no, man, this is all God's kingdom. So I, I want to end our time with three attitudes of stewardship that shatter the myth of ownership. The first one is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. First Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Everything belongs to God. Say that with me. Everything comes from God. Another myth-shattering attitude is that everything comes from God. If you don't get this, you're going to miss it. Everything about you, you were either taught or God gave it to you, or a little of both. But he also gave you the ability to learn. So even if you were taught it and got it and it's good, who gave you the ability to be taught, to be able to learn it? That's God. So it's all, it all comes from God, whether it's a spiritual gift or some sort of a talent or whether it's something that you've had the ability to comprehend and learn. It's all God's. Verse 12, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. The word exalt means to make great. God has the ability to decide who and however he wants people to be exalted. God distributes wealth. God distributes health. God distributes IQ. Everything, however God wants. The person who has a lot has a lot because God's given him a lot. Or the ability to have a lot. And the person who has little, God's given him little. 
person who has really smart is really smart because God made him smart. A person who has an average IQ, like me, that's how God's wired him. And that brings us to the third attitude of stewardship that breaks this myth of ownership, and that's that everything is dispersed by God. He disperses things as he decides. Not everyone is equally blessed. We may all be equal as American citizens, as human beings, but we are not all equally blessed. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. What a boring world this would be. And we'd all have to have all of them. Because I can look at some of these people, stinking Scott's kid here, singing and playing and ridiculous talent, and, and I'm going, I want, I want to do that. Why didn't I get that gift? I'll never dunk a basketball. There are dunkers, and there are people who I'm, I don't dunk. I will never be able to dunk. Not naturally. I could jump on a springboard and probably break a leg, but I'm never going to dunk a basketball, basketball naturally. It's just not going to happen. Most people are much smarter than me, but I'm smarter than some. Most pastors are far more scholarly and remember the stuff that they've learned. My brother-in-law is ridiculous. You could say, what's that passage about? It talks about something, something. He goes, and then he quotes it, and he goes, yeah, it's in Romans 5, verses, it's probably between 5 and 8, verses 5, and, and I'm going, are you out of your mind? Like, I was just trying to remember, is that in the Bible? <laughs> God decides to give people what he'd like. But, but here's the catch. We can't be envious. And I've just shown you that I am. You can't be envious. You know why? It's all dispersed by God. As he belongs to God, and it all comes from God, and it's all dispersed by God as he would do it, as he would choose. So we're going we're to we're exercise a little bit here right now, and well, you stay seated, but we're going to do these hand motions to help us learn this principle, okay? You could call this your sermon in a sentence, I guess, but do this with me now. Hold your hand. Everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. Now let's put the words to it as well. It starts with belongs, comes, dispersed. Everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything... Very good. Now you're in. You got it. Now you got the sermon in a sentence. You got the message in a tweet. Everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God according to how He wants it to happen. And if those three attitudes ever became natural to our thinking, if we owned those principles, we would naturally become stewards and understand that we are not owners. And many of us are blessed managers. Some of us not so much. Maybe we haven't been great managers. But what that means, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you're a steward. A steward is someone who manages someone else's stuff. It's like God says, here's some stuff, here's some brain power, here's some opportunity, here's some wealth. Now what are you going to do with it? It's not yours, it's mine, but what are you going to do with my stuff? And so a steward's job is to handle or manage someone else's stuff with the goals of the owner in mind, not the goals of the manager. With the intent to please and meet the goals and accomplish the purposes of the owner, not the manager. It's about him, it's not about us. And all the stuff we have is not about us, it's about him. It's like you're to say, thanks for the stuff, God, now how would you like, what would you like me to do with this? I've just gotten an extra blessing. How, what am I supposed to do with that? Because it's all about the owner and his goals and purposes and his desires. 
using what he's given you, your talents, your abilities, your money, your opportunities, your health, everything. God, I want to use all my stuff that's really not my stuff in such a way as to build your kingdom, to honor you, to honor your people, not just invest in my own kingdom, in my own stuff, in my own portfolio. Because everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. Now, you may live with the illusion that you're an owner. You're not. As a believer, and even if you're not, it's all God's stuff. The houses, the cars, even your family. Even your family, your children. They're not yours. You you better manage them. (laughs) But they're not yours, they're God's. And you're eventually going to die. Someone else is going to get your stuff. Got a little bit of time and a lot of opportunity. Use it. David and the Israelites, they got it. It all belongs to you. It all comes from you. and It's all dispersed by you. With that in mind, Lord, we're going to build a temple that's worthy of your name. We're going to sacrifice and give, and it's going to be awesome. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and we're still talking about it thousands of years later. Can you imagine if American Christians understood this idea that they're stewards, managers, and not owners? I put this on the screen. See, there's already enough money to fulfill the Great Commission to translate all the Bibles, to plant all the churches, to do all the ministries, to send all the missionaries, to build all the schools, train all the leaders. The money's there. So we don't need to say, God, send money. God, the kingdom needs money. Now they got it all. We got it all. What we need to pray is this. I put this on the screen. God, help Christians to understand we're not owners. We're stewards. Teach us to give to the maximum of our ability. Not just to a local church. I'm not talking about I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity, of just having your hands open. And you give me all this stuff to manage, God. What would you, how would you like me to manage this for your principles, your, your purposes? And if we really got this, we'd never need another capital campaign to pay for a building or do some special project. There'd be no special offerings. I, I promise you, what this is is a spiritual problem. It's not a money problem. It's a spiritual problem and an, a misunderstanding Our question to God should be, as your money managers, as your stewards, how can we use your stuff according to your plans and your desires? So I was going to do, I don't know what to do or not. I'm running out of time. So so I'll just have you picture this. I'll I'll probably get the next service, but I'm just going to have you picture this idea. I was going to have you pull out your wallet, your purses, and everything else. So just imagine you've done that. You pulled it out, and there's some money in there. And I want you to pick a number that you could just give. Not, not, nothing to hurt the offering that you're about to, to give here in a little bit that you've already planned and you're already going to do. Outside of that, picture what you'd pull out of your wallet. Maybe there's a 5 a 10 a 50 a $100, whatever that you could spare. If you don't carry cash, how about your bank account? Because you use your charge card. So what's in there? Pull that out and hold that up. And we'd all hold it up. And we'd look around and some people have 5 some people have 10 some people have 100 whatever it may be. Above and beyond, that's not your money. None of it is, actually. All the money in the account, all the money in your time, none of it is. But what I wanted you to do, and I, st- I still want you to do this, I want you to think about a, a dollar amount, five, at least five bucks. Um, some of you kids, it might be a dollar. Five bucks or more, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. What could you do to invest this money this week outside of the walls of this church for God's purposes and God's kingdom? Is that something that you would, would do, that you would consider? You and your family, you each have a, bunch, a little bit of money. Maybe you pull it together and you do something together to invest in some way in God's purposes and God's principles outside of the walls of this church during the week and to see what God might do with that. 
And some of you might not be Christians. And listen, I understand it. When the offering's passed, you get a little uncomfortable. I understand it. And you don't have to give, and you don't have to do this exercise. But what if you did? What if everything really did belong to God? And what if through this challenge here this morning, there, there might be that God wants to utilize some of you. God's got somebody outside there. It could be a homeless person. It could be somebody working at a bank, and you just want to bless them, and you want to go buy some supplies and clean the toilet. I mean, what, what could you do? for? What would God want you to do? And would you be willing just to pray, I've got this $5, I've got this $50, I've got this $100. How can I invest this in your kingdom? Not just the church and the offerings, which are, are vital, by the way, and it's a principle. It's, a, it's an ownership stewardship thing to keep us in check. But above and beyond that, like these people did here in Israel, that they just went, they, they, they got their jewelry out, they got everything, and they just gave and gave and gave, starting with the leaders. But then the people got excited and behind it as well. And I'm not saying to bring that all back to here so that adventure can have a pile of cash. I'm saying give your normal gifts to God because he owns it anyway. And that's your, your relationship here. Bring the tithe to the storehouse. But above and beyond that, what could you do just this week with five bucks? 50 bucks, 100 bucks, to invest in someone or something that God would lead you to outside of the walls of this church. What would happen? How amazing could that be? And could that be for some of you who maybe aren't Christians yet, to give God just another step in your life to do something amazing? To think outside of it. God, what, there's somebody out there, there's something out there that you want to do. What is it that you want to do? And, and how could my, my little five bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, it's 20 bucks, how could that make a difference this week? I hope there'll be some pretty cool stories next week if you would take, take that challenge. Our money's not our money. Our stuff is not our stuff. Our family's not our families. So don't spend the rest of, the li- of your life Missing the fact that God owns it all. It all belongs to him. It all comes from him. And it's all dispersed by him. And you've been given a certain amount to manage. Manage it well. Let's pray. Father, help us to not get caught up in dollars, but to understand this principle. And I pray that you would bless the scripture into the hearts of these people and exercise to help us step it up a notch in understanding that you own it all and we manage it. Help us to understand that we're stewards, managers, who will give an account to what you've given us to manage. And if we're bordering on greediness, man, I pray you would shake us up. And if we feel guilty because we make lots of money, I pray that you would free those people up to go. They're part of the kingdom. They're part of the solutions. And to freely have their assets held in their hands. Help us to be like David and the people of Israel, all looking for that opportunity to give to the maximum of their ability, not just to a local church, although that's important, but even above and beyond that in their daily lifestyle. Help us to maximize our giving, not because you need it, but because we love you for your kingdom's sake and the growth of your kingdom, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.